started, goodness, like seven weeks ago. We've been walking through um, the beginning, the opening chapters of the book of Joshua. And um, the book of Joshua is all about conquest, uh, especially the first half. The, the, the book of Joshua is all about how the Israelites um, stepped into their land that was promised to them by God hundreds and hundreds of years previously. Um, God delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. They'd been slaves for 400 years. God brought them through the wilderness, brought them up to the land of promise, the land where uh, 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 their forefathers were buried. Uh, Abraham and his wife were buried in the promised land. Isaac uh, and, and his wife were buried in the promised land. Jacob and his wife were buried in the promised land. And in fact, Joseph, you might remember Joseph, the, the guy with the coat of many colors, who, who initially led the people of God to Egypt. Um, when, when Joseph passed away, he said, be sure to take my bones to the promised land. When you go back, because they always knew they were going back, be sure to take my bones to the promised land and, and uh, bury me with my fathers. And so this was a part of the Jewish culture. This was a part of this nation, of this people. And, um, and, and it, we believe it's not just for the Jewish culture. We believe that this is inspired scripture, which is written for us, obviously to see God's amazing power on their behalf, but also for us to now believe in God's amazing power on our behalf. We believe it's written for our example. It's written for our instruction. We're supposed to learn something from what these people went through and what God brought them through. And so we've been talking about taking land in our own lives. Obviously, we're not, um, we're not taking physical property. We're not, we're not declaring war on anybody. But we are declaring war on the enemy of our soul that has taken land of our heart and of our mind and of our strength and of our finances and of our families and 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 of our attitudes and 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 and, and of every part of us we believe that there is some things in 2017 that God wants for us to take back God wants for us to take possession of to take ownership of to rule over instead of it ruling over us instead of time ruling over us we rule over our time uh, instead of opportunities ruling us we rule over our opportunities we live uh, in control, in control that God intended for us to have all along. Uh, the ownership that he intended for us to have all along. And so uh, many of you had written out things on flags. We've been putting the flags up here every single week. And um, those, those flags are visual, physical reminders. And uh, the flags aren't here anymore, but hopefully we still have some, some reminders. Hopefully you haven't forgot what God has called you to take in 2017. And so this is my last sermon uh, in this series. I'm going to wrap this up. And it's kind of hard for me because um, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a very detail-oriented person. So I, I, it's difficult for me to stop like in the middle of a book, right? And so we're going through Joshua. I'd like to keep going like for the rest of the year through Joshua. But I know you guys would get bored. So we are ending the sermon series today. Today. Uh, and then next Sunday, my wife and I are going to preach together. We're going to be sharing our relationships, and so that's going to be fun. And then after that, we start a new sermon series for the Easter season um, called The Four Cups. And so some of you may know we've been talking about Four Cups ever since we started two years ago. And so we're going to help explain some of that to some of you folks that, 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 that are new. We're going to let you know what The Four Cups is all about. And I'm excited about that sermon series. But before we get to that, I really want to wrap up what it means to take the land. I want to, I want, I want to close out. Uh, this 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 sermon series and and really we started uh, chapter one went to chapter two chapter three chapter four chapter five uh, chapter six chapter seven now we're going to skip over seven more chapters we're going to go to chapter fourteen um, because chapter fourteen is kind of uh, a, a, a bit of an ending in and of itself to the beginning of the book of Joshua it's it's the end of the conquest what is known as the conquest uh, Joshua led the people into Israel they they fought I believe it was thirty one different kings and uh, uh, had great conquest. And then at the end of chapter 14, we really see the end of that particular conquest and the beginning of people actually living in the land, owning the land for themselves. And so I want to look at the last, the last thing that they faced, the last uh, conversation that they had before they, before they really possessed the land. In Joshua 14, verses 6 through 15, um, it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and a guy named Caleb, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. That's important. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Now he's, he's reminding Joshua about a story that's found in the book of Numbers. Um, basically, God delivers the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. They come through the wilderness. I think it was something like 30 or 40 days. They, they come through the wilderness. They come up to the edge of the promised land. God says, I'm going to give this land to you. Now send some spies into the land um, to bring back some fruit from the land. Uh, God, God's like, I'm, I'm getting ready to open up this awesome land for people, but first I want you to taste it, because uh, I know if you could get a taste of what is to come, then, then you'll be ready to fight for what is to come. So God, God is like that. He doesn't always just ask us to jump off of a cliff. He gives us a bit of a taste. He gives us some encouragement. He says, man, this is going to be great for you. It's going to be good for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And so I want you to send 12 spies into the land, have them walk all around the land, have them check out every corner, have them check out, uh, you know, is it good? Is it a bad land? Is it a good land? Uh, do crops grow well there? What are the cities? Are there, are there big cities? Are small cities? Are there giants? Are, there, are, are these people ready to fight? Go and spy out the land and bring back a report. And they did that. Uh, Twelve of them went. And, and two of them, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua who we've been reading about, and then this new guy, Caleb, came back and said, guys, this is, this is amazing. This is wonderful land. They brought a positive report. They said, there are giants in the land. It is going to be difficult, but God is able to deliver the land into our hands. However, there were 10 of the 12 spies, and I think that's a pretty good ratio uh, for life. 10 out of 12 people, 10 out of 12 of your Facebook friends, uh, 10 out of 12 Twitter accounts are going to be negative. 10 out of 12 of them said, we can't do it. The giants are too big. The land is too developed. These countries and cities are too advanced. We cannot, we cannot take the land. Caleb's reminding Joshua of this because that was the moment, that was the time at which the people of Israel believed the ten negative reports instead of the two positive reports. So it's not necessarily uh, the news that you receive that makes the difference. It's the news that you believe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So sometimes you're going to get a lot of negative, but if, there's, if, you can, if you can grab a hold of what God is saying in your situation instead of what your hairdresser is saying or your, or your person who babysits or whatever, instead of, instead of, instead of the negative, you can, if you can grab a hold of the promises of God, I'm telling you, you'll be able to take the land. But one of the reasons why we don't take the land in our lives is because we buy into the negative reports. We buy into the fear. We buy into the intimidation. We listen to the ten voices in our head over top of the two voices in our head. And that's exactly what happened. People of Israel, their hearts melted. But God said in that day, he said, you guys aren't going to be going into the promised land because you don't have any faith. Instead, everyone's going to die in the wilderness, which took 40 years. Everyone's going to die in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. So Joshua and Caleb are the oldest guys in the whole nation of Israel right now. They're both about 85 years old. They're the, they're the, they're the gray-headed old, old dudes. And they're the ones leading the charge, actually. I think, that, I, I think that's interesting. But they, 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 they're the oldest guys there. And Caleb is reminding Joshua of this because what Joshua is about to do here in chapter 14 and then 15 and 16, he's about to divide the land up. So God appears to Joshua in chapter 13 and says, dude, you're old. You can't fight anymore. It's not going to work out. You need to... You need to delegate. Give the land out to the different families of Israel, the different tribes. And so the leader of the tribe will come up and you will, you will, you will, you will divide up the land. Well, how do we divide it? God said you're going to cast lots. You're going to basically roll the dice and see who gets what. And so you roll the dice and give it to that family. That family will decide who lives where, how they, how they defeat it. But you, but you need to pass it off of you and give it to them. And so Caleb knows that they're about to cast lots or roll the dice for uh, who's going to own what. And before they cast lots, before they, before they step into chance and, and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may, Caleb steps up and says, before we do that, I got something to say. And I want to remind you, first and foremost, of the promise that God made to me. So God made him a promise through Moses 
see, because he, nevertheless, all my brethren who made, made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so in verse 9, he says, so Moses is the promise. Moses swore on that day, saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Caleb says, we're not going to cast lots for what God has promised me. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, Caleb says, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am to this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am just as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I will be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed him and gave him, what's the mountain? He gave him Hebron. Now, Hebron is the place, it's interesting, Hebron is the place where Abraham and his wife were buried, where Isaac and his wife were buried, where, 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 where the fathers of the faith were buried. So we know that Caleb, when he spied out the land, he checked out Hebron. And, 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 and when Moses said, you're going to get the land that you, that you walked on, that you, that you were trotting on, that you made tread marks on, he, he took that as, God's going to give me Hebron. And so Joshua gives him Hebron. Uh, the, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron, formerly, the Hebron is what, is what the Jews called it, but formerly it was Kerjath Arba. Uh, it means the town of Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim interesting side note if you're into Bible study uh, the Anakim is a very interesting race of people uh, many people feel that they they descended from the Nephilim uh, Genesis chapter 6 the uh, the 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 demon human hybrid um, giants uh, powerful people and actually the Anakim are, are talked about quite a bit in scripture and and, and the, the the when the the negative report that came out from the ten spies they mentioned the Anakim they said the Anakim are there and people started freaking out so the Anakim are no joke these are serious serious enemies and and Caleb says I I want that mountain because God promised me that mountain so I'm going to take that mountain and what's fascinating to me is that Caleb is what the son of Jephunneh, whoever that guy is, the Kenizzite, whatever that means. <laughs> Most scholars don't even know why he's called a Kenizzite or who in the world Jephunneh is. <laughs> Caleb, somehow, the guy whose dad we don't know much about, whose great-grandfather, we're not even sure if he's Jewish or, or what, how all this fits in, there's a lot of speculation. Somehow this guy is given by Joshua the land of Hebron as an inheritance. Now, now Joshua was told to divide up the land among the families, the tribes. So Judah, Benjamin, you know, all of the tribes, all the 12 tribes, they're supposed to get the land and, and then they're supposed to divvy it out. But, 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 but Caleb, who many believe is somehow a part of the tribe of Judah, steps up and says, actually, Judah can get its deal. I would like this for myself. It's fascinating to me that this nobody, no name from nowhere guy gets his own inheritance. Why? Why is it? Well, because he was one of the spies who believed what God had said. And I believe that this is a principle I'd like to talk to you a little bit about today. The principle that, 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 that if, if you can see it, then you can seize it. God gives more to spies than he... Than than he gives the people with other leadership roles. If you can, because if you can see it, then you can seize it. Because vision is, is important to victory. Vision is an important piece of victory. Vision is, 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 is a very important part. And vision is not just making stuff up. Vision is not just, 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 just randomly grabbing stuff out of the air. Caleb had seen the land that he wanted to take. He had seen the enemies. He was realistic about it. He knew the risk. He knew the cost. But he also had a promise from God. 
He also had a promise from God that, that God would give him the land where he walked. And, and so the first piece of land, before it's given out to any of the other tribes, it goes to the spy. Because the first thing, if you're going to take the land, is you have to adopt a vision from God. You have to have a vision from God. You have to be able to see something before you seize it. And if you can see it, you can seize it. If you can understand the width and the breadth and the height of what God has promised you, that's the first step of actually seizing it, of actually, of actually taking it. And this is, this is something that, that, that uh, Dallas and I were talking about a couple weeks ago. We were talking about how, how in Western culture, we have a certain way of looking at things. Uh, and we're very, very, very left brain. <laughs> if you know what left brain, left brain is logical, linear thought. We are very left brain. And so, and so much of our thinking uh, falls into sort of a left brain mentality. Right brain is ultra creative, poetry. And the, the wonderful thing about God is when God wrote the Bible, when he inspired people to write the Bible, he inspired in all different kind of literary formats. He does have some left brain writings, right? Just read the Apostle Paul pretty darn left brain. He, 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 but he also has some right brain things. God actually wrote books that are uh, poetic. Like he wrote poetry to us. He inspired poetry. Now poetry is not literal. Poetry is not left brain. Poetry doesn't always A to B to C to D. Poetry is, is inspirational. Poetry is motion, motion and movement. And, 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 but, but God is God is a poetic God. And so the way that God speaks to us through his word is not always through left brain. But here in the West, we have a very left brain way of thinking. And so we've adopted something called systematic theology. So, so we have books where, where the word, we have the word salvation. You have all these scriptures under the word salvation because that makes sense to us. And then you have the word sanctification. You have all these scriptures under the word sanctification. But somebody had to sit down and compile all of that because that's not the way God wrote it. But it fits with our left brain thinking. And so we like it because it puts things in nice, neat boxes. And we love our boxes. We love, it just, uh, for instance, I have, I have, I have an app on, on my iPhone called News. Does anybody else have News on their, on, on their iPhone? It gives, it gives you, it, 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 it gives you like the heading, you know, you, 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 you scroll right and then, and then, then, then you have all the news headings. So you have like a, a report from CNN, you have a report from Fox News, you have a report from the Washington Post. And uh, it just, it, it, the, the, the headings though are su supposed to be attention grabbing. The headings are supposed to be kind of like a little taste of what it's actually written about. But the heading also tells you uh, really the angle of the author, the angle of the writer. So, so, and what's funny is you can have the same world event, right? Like the president can do the same, <laughs> the same conference, the, 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 same, the, 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 the same speech, and yet you have very different headings. CNN is a little more liberal, and so CNN says, oh, well, da-da-da-da-da-da. You can see that in their heading. You see where they're going. Fox is very uh, conservative, so you, they, they have their little heading. And, 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 and you can just tell that the writers of these articles already had an opinion before they actually wrote the article. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I'm, you know, I, the way I say it is I have friends who are liberals and I have friends who are conservatives and I'm sticking with my friends. So, you know, I'm not going to pick one side or the other. I got friends on both aisles and I pastor people in both aisles and that's all good. But it's just interesting to me that, that we often only stick with our particular uh, type of news. So if you're if you're conservative, you you watch a lot of Fox and listen to a lot of Fox. And if you're liberal, you watch a lot of CNN. You listen to a lot of CNN. And you, those those are kind of the divides because those news stories are telling us things from a particular point of view. Same event, same truth, same reality, but the way that they see it is different. The way they interpret, the way they interpret the actions, the way they interpret the the facts. The way that they, 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 they disseminate those is different. And I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, but they're coming from different worldviews. They're coming from different ideologies. Because we like our boxes. We like our headings. And I think we do this in our personal life, too. We come up with a heading, and then underneath that heading, we fit everything that fits under that heading, and everything that doesn't fit under that heading, we throw out. So we have a foundational belief. We have a heading. We have a lens that we put on. Even about God. Even about God. We can have a particular heading about God. Right? We can say, we can say on the one hand, there are folks who say God is love. And so that's their heading. And then everything that fits under a loving, smiling, slightly uh, uh, 
annoyingly happy God fits under that, you know? He's just smiling all the time. He's just lovely. He's lovely. And he's kind of like, an, an, like your grandfather, you know? He, you could do no wrong in his eyes. But then, then over here we have people who, they believe that God is just. And so, so he's slightly frowning all the time, you know? And so no matter how good you're doing, you're probably not doing good enough to meet a, live up to his expectations. And we put everything, we have that heading, God is just, and underneath that, we, 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 we filter all of our life. And the problem with either of these two headings, the headings, the problem with Fox News and CNN is that if you only have one of those facts or one of those angles on reality, you never get the full picture. God is love, absolutely, and he is so much more. Yes. God is, God is just, absolutely, and he is so much more. God is merciful, God is patient, God is kind, God is holy, God is righteous, God is strong, God is faithful, God is, God is unchanging, God is here, yes, and God is there, absolutely, at the exact same time. God is past, absolutely, God is present, God is future. God is, and he is so much more. Whatever you might believe about him, you, you have to be careful not just to adopt a heading, but we do this about God, but we also do this about our own lives. So we have a fundamental belief. I am ugly. And so everything that fits under I am ugly makes sense. It's a confirmation bias is what psychologists call it. And it makes sense to us. But anything that doesn't agree with that, we think, well, that must be an anomaly. That must be weird. Those people must be really off. Or, or, or over here on the other hand, we have the belief that we are fundamentally just gifted. Uh, we're born with qualities that other, other people don't even. And, and we have that belief. And anything that lines up with that belief, anybody who tells us, yeah, you're so gifted, we're like, yeah, you are so right. But anybody who does doesn't tell us that. Like, we are so off, man. You obviously can't see how awesome I am. What's wrong with you? Because we have this heading, and we allow all of our truth to be filtered through that heading. And, 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 I, and I think to some extent, we're always going to have this, but what Caleb had, Caleb had a heading throughout his life, and his heading was that God had promised him Hebron. God had promised him that mountain. And everything that fit underneath that heading was true, and was right, and was agreeable. And everything that did not fit under that heading, he said, well, we're going to have to wait and see. Even when he's talking about how the children, he says, he says, Israel wandered in the wilderness. Did you catch that? He said, Israel wandered. He said, I didn't wander. Now, he was right there with them wandering, but he says, I wasn't wandering. I was waiting. There's a difference. <laughs> Some, some people are wandering because they're lost. Some people are waiting because, because God promised them something. It has to do with your perspective, with your filter. I think all of us, to some extent, are reporters. You are Fox or you are CNN. We are reporting reality. We are reporting God to our family, to our children, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, and most of all, to ourselves. We are telling ourselves something. We're, we're reporting something. We have an angle on the facts. The question is not, do you have an accurate fact? The question is, what is your angle? What is your what is your pre-written story? What, what are you trying to prove? Caleb said, as for me, I'm trying to prove the promise of God. And so I wasn't wandering. They were wandering. I was waiting because God had promised me. For 40 years, God had promised me. We entered the promised land. And, 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 and Caleb finally gets there. See, if, if, we, if we could learn to filter our lives through, through the person and the quality and the character of God, we would much quicker take the land. We would much quicker take what God has promised us. So often we filter our lives through, through, through our own insecurities or through what our parents have said or through what our culture has said or through uh, a desire to be on the right side of history, whatever that means. I have no idea. Instead of who God is. When I think about who God is, I think of something that's timeless. I think of something that's bigger than me. I think of something that, that others have been a part of, and, 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 John, and Jonathan Edwards, and, and uh, the kids were studying about Mueller, who is, who, is, who is in England, and he's given his life for the cause of Christ. I didn't start this thing, and I'm not going to finish this thing. I, I am a part of a greater story than simply me. And as for me, I know what God has promised me. I know what God has spoken to me. I know what God desires for me and for my family. And I believe that he will fulfill his promise. Because my filter is him. And so I want to learn about his love. And I want to learn about his justice. I want to learn about his peace. And I want to learn about his strength. I want to learn about his wrath. And I want to learn about his joy. I want to learn about his, his patience. And I want to learn about his, his, his justice and, and his exacting punishment. I want to learn all of him. 
I want to learn all of him. I want to learn his smile, and I want to learn his frown. I want to learn his, his laughter, and I want to learn his, his, his judgment. And it, uh, because, you know, on, on the one hand, we have a God who is just so gentle and so kind. But we also have a God that, in the book of Revelation, people are calling out for rocks to fall on them to cover them from the wrath of the Lamb. I want to learn about both. This is one God. Behold, Israel, your God is one. He is not split personality. He somehow, somehow is bigger than my box. He somehow blows apart my ideology and what I think of when I think of good and when I think of kind. He's somehow bigger and better than that. And so I want to learn about him. I want to know him. He is my, my filter. He's my heading. And so uh, for, for Caleb, he, he, God is his heading. And so you end up, he ends up seeing that. He ends up seeing that. If we could go back to the verse there, he talks about, he talks about his past. And I think this is important because how you, how you look at your past determines uh, what you will look for in your future. So he looks back, uh, he says, uh, let's see, uh, I think it's verse 8, uh, verse 10. Now behold, he says, the Lord has kept me alive. The Lord has kept me. I love Caleb's testimony of the past 85 years. Caleb was born into slavery. Somebody making decisions for him, telling him how many kids he could have, who he could marry, when he would wake up, and when he would go to sleep. For 40 years, he lived in slavery. He was older than me, and he was still bound in chains and forced to work for somebody else. And after 40 years, God did a miraculous miracle, delivered him out of Egypt, took him into the wilderness, took him to the promised land, and he was excited about it. He steps into the promised land. He comes back and says, yes, God can take, God can take the land for us. God can give us the land. It's going to be awesome. Him, but then the people all around him say, no, we don't want to go in. And so he has to wander for 40 years along with these rebellious losers. And, and finally, after 40 years, he steps into the promised land. Then he has to fight with these guys to take back land for five years. He's finally back at the foot of the mountain. You talk about starting over. It's the same mountain. <laughs> 45 years later, the dude is looking at the same mountain that he was promised 45 years ago. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of people I know, like, they're, they're, they're so afraid of facing the same mountain. They're so afraid of starting over. They're so afraid, uh, and, and, and they're a lot younger than 85, <laughs> the people I talk to. I mean, he's 85, and he's starting over. He's not a spring chicken. He's not in his 20s. He's 85 years old, and he's coming back to the same mountain with the same Anakim, with the same enemies, and the same stuff. It's like deja vu all over again. And many people I know, they're a lot younger than 85, but they look back over the past maybe five years and they say, wow, what a waste. And they are filled with regret because they look back and they say, I, I, I'm, I'm, at, I'm facing the same thing. I'm at the same mountain. Five years later, what a waste. Five years. <laughs> Caleb's 85, 40, how, would you, how about 45 years? He comes up to the foot of the mountain after 45 years. It's the same thing. The giants are still there. And unlike many of us, he is not filled with regret. Why? Because he's ultra positive. No. <laughs> because, because, because he's been listening to his self-help teachings as he's, as he's on his camel going up to, no, that's not really it. It's because his perspective. It's because of the filter that he's seeing his life through. He's looking for the promises of God. He's looking for the hand of God. And you will find what you look for. You will find what you look for. If you look for disappointment, if you look for a, an occasion to be offended, you will find it. If you, if you look for, a, for, for somebody to let you down, you are going to meet them, and they are going to wonderfully let you down. It's going to be amazing, exactly what you're looking for. If you're, and this is why fear and faith are so powerful, because what you fear will come upon you, and what you have faith in will also come upon you. They are both, they are both lens adjusters that adjust what you are looking for. Caleb is looking in his past, and he's not looking for regret. He's not looking for wasted years. He's not looking for blame. To blame those losers who made him wander around in the wilderness for 40 years instead of taking this land. He's looking for the promises and the hand of God. And his testimony after 45 years is, God has kept me. Yes. I love that. 
I love that. I, th I, th I think that ought to be just inscribed on Caleb's tombstone somewhere. That that was his testimony. After 85 years of no promises, no fruit, no, no moving forward, wandering, literally walking in circles for 40 years, after, after no fruitfulness, no abundance, no joy, no successes, 45 years, and he says, well, God kept me alive. <laughs> I mean, talk about gratefulness. He's grateful simply that he's standing there at the foot of the mountain again after 45 years. We are so, we are so upset at the fact that God let us wander for 45 years that we never take time to thank him for providing a way for us to still be alive and to be able to stand in front of the same mountain again. He said, God has kept me. God has maintained my life. God has kept me alive because God is going to fulfill his promise. God has not allowed me to die. No matter who is out to get me, no matter who was gossiping about me, even when I didn't believe in myself, God has kept me. Even when I was failing, God has kept me. Even when I was in sin, God has kept me. Even when I was in rebellion, even when I, when I was rich, God kept me. When I was poor, God kept me. When I was doing good, God kept me. When I was doing bad, God kept me. God kept me from depression. God kept me from suicide. God kept me from, 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 from the enemy snuffing my life out. God has kept me. I love his testimony. He steps in. He's like, yeah, same mountain. But here's the deal. It's the same mountain, but it's the same man. The same man that stood there and said, yeah, I think God can give us this mountain is the same man after, after 45 years that says, I still believe that God can give me this mountain. Why? Because I believe in the promise of God. And so as we've stepped into this year, it's late March. I know you, many of you are running into the same mountain, the same enemies, the same stuff. It's like, oh, wow, this really isn't a new thing. This is a cycle. This is an old thing. This is the same mountain that I've been facing all my life. And you can get tempted to get discouraged because you feel like those years are wasted. But, but Caleb says, no, no, those years weren't wasted. God kept me through those years. God was with me. God walked with me and was preparing me for this moment. I've been raising my kids, telling them, about this mountain. I've been raising my grandkids telling them about this mountain. All my family, you read the next chapter, his whole family starts fighting for this mountain. He said, I've been preparing for this. I've been getting ready for this. I think we need more testimonies of God has kept me, even to our kids. Uh, when we first had kids, we decided we wanted them to know the Bible, so we shared Bible stories with them. I mainly shared Bible stories every, every night before bed. I would just start at Genesis and just start rambling, because I can preach. And so I'm like, well, there's this story, there's that story, blah, blah, blah. And it, it was good, and the kids got a good idea of the Bible, but then Rose started teaching the Bible through homeschooling during the day, and the kids are getting the Bible here at church, and uh, in, in, in kids' church. And so uh, about last year, I just decided, you know, I think they're getting enough Bible. I think they need to hear more about Dad. And so I just started off, well, you know, let me, let me tell you about me. Because I, I do it really for three reasons. Number one, I want them to know me. I want them to know that, that you don't just parachute in at age 36 and plant a church. You do, that's not how it works. I, I, I didn't always have faith. I didn't always have hope. I didn't always have joy. I didn't always have the stuff that I have. I didn't always have. I had to fight for it. I had to, God had to bless me. God has kept me. It has. It didn't just, 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 it didn't just fall in my lap. It didn't just appear. I didn't just. I know it looks easy, kids, but that's because I've been doing it for a while. God has kept me. And so I want them to know me. I want them to know where I came from. I want them to know what I struggle with. I want, to, I want, I want them to know how I grew up. I want them to know what I loved and what I hated and, 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 and the stuff I grew from. I want them to know me, but, but, but I also want them to know my worldview because whenever I'm talking to them about stuff, I can, I can share uh, my worldview on things. So I was telling them last week about a house we moved into that was on the same property as a big Catholic church. And so Madden says, what's a Catholic church? So I get to share with her ways in which the Catholic faith is similar to ours, ways in which it's different from ours. I'm, I'm able to share those things. But the third and biggest reason why I want to share my stories in my life, I, I always just tell them, just pick an age, you know, uh, from three on up to 36, pick an age and I'll tell you what happened in that year. Micah keeps asking me if I'm, if I'm 86, I think. He keeps saying, hey, I'm not that old, son. I can't do that. He's five. His idea of numbers are kind of skewed. So he's done a lot of 18 because that's really old for him. So I've, I may have stretched some truths, 18, 19, 17. I didn't have that exciting of an 18 year. You know, I just, so, but, but you know, I, I just ask him to pick an age. Let me tell you what happened in that age. And within that age, with every single age, I can tell you that God has kept me. With every single age, I can tell you what God was doing in my life. With every single age, even if I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. I can tell you, like I was, I was, I was telling Madden a couple, a couple weeks ago, she said, tell me about 13. 
And I said, okay, well, you know, I can't talk about 13 until I talk about 12. And she said, no, I want to hear about 13. I said, well, you don't parachute into 13, okay? You crawl into it. That's how it happens. You crawl in. And so, so I, talk about, I talk about 12. When I was 12 is when God called me to ministry. When I was 12 is when God called me not to date. Not to date girls, not to date anybody for until I was at least 20, and then we would talk about it. That's the way God kind of talked to me about it. And so, and so I, she said, yeah, yeah, I know all that, but tell me about 13. I said, well, I'm getting to it, because here's the deal. When I was 12, I had a lot of commitments that I made to God, but when I was 13, I was presented with a lot of options to break those commitments. And so I, and, and so I told her about, about a girl that I met. Uh, uh, you know, pretty much, pretty much at the end of my 12th year going into my 13th year. And I thought she was really cute, and she thought I was kind of cute, and, and it was pretty awesome. And she said, well, what'd you do? I said, well, that started for me a journey of 11 years of learning how to rely on God over my heart. That's what it did. And I said, because I didn't know it, but God knew it on the other side of the world. There was a little girl in New Zealand. Although she, she was 18 when I was 13. I'd just like to point that out. That would have been weird. <laughs> I said, honey, because on the other side of the world, there was this little girl in New Zealand that God had planned for me that was perfect for me, that was right for me, because you don't even know what's perfect for you. You don't know what's right for you, but God knows what's right for you. And if you wait on God, if you trust on him over your own heart and over your own eyes and over your own emotion and over your own sense of attraction, then, then he will bring the right person. And so I was sharing, she, she said, yeah, I know, Dad. I know, I know, I know. But tell me more about this girl. I said, well, you know, she's living somewhere doing something now. I don't even know. Because it's not even, it's not even what, what, what's important. But what's important is God has kept me. And I can tell you at 13, God kept me. At 14, God called me to preach. At 17, I preached my first kind of real sermon. At, at, uh, at 21, I went away to Bible college, and, and I was in a denomination, and that was weird. I'd never done that before. And I got on the radio and started preaching, and I made a website, which was really hip in 2001. And, uh, and in 2009, we, we came down to, to, to Promised Land, San Marcos, and in 2015, we planted City Chapel. And, and I, can, I can walk through how God has kept me. But it's important that when we report, when we report to ourselves, and when we report to our kids, and when we report to our, our community, and when we report on Facebook, and when we report to our uh, people that work with us, that we report the truth of what God has done in our life. Yes. If you want to take the land, you have to change how you see your past. You have to change how you see the wandering. You have to change how you see the waiting. You have to change how you see the barrenness. You have to change how you see all of that. Instead, he said, God has kept me. And so to go back to, to who this man is, let's just look at numbers real quick. I, I want to read a few verses from that account when, when, jo when Joshua and Caleb went into the land and they came back. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. They said, we went into the land of which uh, you sent us, and it does, in fact, flow with milk and honey. Exclamation point. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the, def the, the descendants of Anak there, the Anakim. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, uh, the Parasites, the <laughs> Cellulites. They all live there in the hill country. The Canaanites uh, live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people. This is a guy, 40 years old, 45 years pri prior. Caleb says, shut up. <laughs> stop talking. I wish you'd just stop talking. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I, we got the ites and, and the cellulites and the paras and the Canaanite. Like, we understand the enemy. How about, how about you stop talking about the enemy for 30 seconds here? How about you just be quiet? He, this is what he said. He said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I know a lot of people that when they're reaching the mountain again, their words are, well, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> but you know why, you know why those are their words? Because the first time they reached the mountain, their words were something like, well, I would if I could. They were the 10 spies. 
But the, the, the same guy who, who gives this little speech, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can. We should and we can. We should and we can. If you get those, if you get those twisted, if you get those turned around, you're always going to come up with the wrong conclusion. You've you got to put your should before you can. You should, we should, so we can. We should, so we can. He says, he says we, I, I, I've seen Hebron, I've seen the Anakim, I've seen how big they are. Some, some people believe they're around 30 foot tall. He's, I, I've seen them, I get it, but we should, so we can. If you're going to take the land, it really comes down to that simple phrase, I should so I can. I should be the first one to change my marriage so I can. I should train up my kids and know God so I can. I should tithe so I can. I should serve so I can. I should so I can. Instead of shoulda, coulda, woulda, the same guy steps up to the same old mountain. He doesn't say should have, could have, would have. Instead he says I still should, so I still can, so I still will. I should, so I can, so I will. This is the, li the lineup. What should you do? What is God calling you to do? What is the imperative? What is the commandment? What is the commandment? The com out of the commandment flows what you can do. Stop turning that around and trying to evaluate what you can do and then see if those line up with what you should do. Instead, you've got to set your should first. You've got to put your should at the bottom. It has to be the foundation. I should. God told me to take this land. God told me to take Hebron. God told me to exterminate the giants. God told me to take out the enemies out of my family, out of my life, out of my mind, out of my imagination imagination, out of my habits. I should, so I can, so I will. And this is true in a personal life. This is also true in a church. I mean, I mean, for us, we felt like God was calling us to, to keep kids fed here at Williams Elementary. And that hasn't always been easy. And especially coming up to the summer, we got like 15, 16 kids, 19 kids now, 19 kids to feed throughout the summer. Well, I don't know if I can do that. No, 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 no. Should we do it or not? Are we called to do it? If we should, then we can and we will. You, you have to understand the order here. You have to decide, what should I do? What is God calling me to do? And then the answer, can you do it? Oh, absolutely. If you should do it, you can do it. If you should do it, you can do it, and you will do it. I should, so I can, so I will. You have to allow that to rise up inside of you. Otherwise, you will come to the mountain and figure out that you are not strong enough. That's what the other ten spies did. They said, we cannot. They never talked about what they should do. They never talked about what God had called them to do. They stuck on what they were capable of. God hasn't asked you to evaluate your capabilities. God hasn't asked you to look at your budget and figure out if you can do this. No, it's should I do this, then I can do this, and I will do this. I should, so I can, so I will. God, you, you're, not, you're not smart enough to know what you can do. You Trust me, from somebody who's always evaluating what he can do. Trust me, I have come to find out I don't even know my potential. I don't even know what's inside of me. I don't even know the gifts and the callings and the capabilities that God's put inside of me. Only God knows that, and he doesn't even tell me. He just tells me what to do. And so my obedience to my should evolves into my ability of I can. And then I stand back and say, yep, hey, I will do that. I believe by the grace of God it will be accomplished. We're going to feed all night. If we have to feed all the kids at Williams Elementary, we should. So we can. So we will. Yes, yes. Are you going to plant a church in South Austin? That's where churches go to die. No, we should. So we can. So we will. Are you really going to reach out to the neighborhood and try to get them involved in stuff? Because they don't like to do anything. That's what the principal told us when we first came here. If they don't really like to come out for anything. No, we should. So we can. So we will. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not interested in the voices of doubt. I'm not interested in the voice of what I cannot do and what is limiting to me. I have, I have figured out that if I can find my should, then I will find my can. Yes. Many of us don't have our should, though. We don't, we don't live with that in view. We don't, we, don't, we don't live with that in front of us. Because, well, that's, that's, too, that's too heavy. That's too obligating. That's too, that's too much like bondage. I don't know. I think God just wants me to do whatever. Well, that's fine. But don't, don't, don't be surprised when you flounder and you go from one side to the other. Don't be surprised when you don't have a testimony to tell your kids that God has kept you. Because the whole time that God kept you, you were looking at all the things you were losing. 
You were looking at all the stuff that you were missing out on. You were looking at all the things. If, if, if you're Caleb, you, you, you really could look at all the stuff that has left. 45 years, <laughs> at 85, there's some stuff that has left. We don't have any 85-year-olds here to bear witness to that, but we got some people who are getting close. There's some stuff that leaves. There's some hair that leaves. There's, there's some ability to control your bladder while you sleep. I hear that leaves. I don't know how it's going to work out for me because I'm a super heavy sleeper, but I guess somehow, some way, you wake up and you go, oh, I got to make a trip. I have to think about that with <laughs> when people come stay with me who are a bit older because I just don't even use the restroom at night, but some people have to use it because there's some stuff, there's some stuff at age 85 <laughs> that leaves. There's some memory that leaves there's some there's 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 some mobility that leaves there's some there's some aches and pains that come in there's some there's some stuff uh, that, that that at age 85 you lose some stuff and that's true of an 85 year old Kayla but it's also true of a 35 year old you or 25 or a 45 there's some stuff that is left there's some stuff you had, some talents, some abilities, some finances. There's some stuff, there's some, there's, there's some trust you had. And that's left. And you can, you can focus all your energy on what has left, if you want to. But maybe a better question is, what is left? What is left? Caleb said, yeah, 45 years has left. But I'm not focused on that. Let me tell you what is left. My strength. My time, I don't have much of that. But I'm just as strong as I was before. Was he just as strong? I don't really know. He thought he was, though. <laughs> and that might be all that really counts. He said, I, I, my, my, I've lost time. But you don't need 45 years to take this mountain. It doesn't take 45 years. I have enough time right now to do what God has called me to do. And I would suggest that you, no matter how old you are, how young you are, how middle-aged you are, you have enough time right now to do what God has called you to do. Of course, none of us know how much time we got left. But you have enough time to do what God has called you to do. You should so you can but will you will you step into it will you take the land of your family will you take the land of your finances will you take the land of your of your of your imaginations will you take the land of of your mouth we take will you, you should and you can Would you bow your heads with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I just feel like the Lord is dealing with people in their own personal way and things in their own heart. And you've been focused too much on what you've lost. You've been focused too much on what has left. Who has left. <laughs> Sometimes it's a who. Sometimes it, you've been focused too much on what you should have and could have and would have. And God's telling you just... Let's, let's, let's go ahead and look at our past, but let's look for a different thing. Let's look for God. What has God been doing? Has God kept you? Has God provided for you? Has God been faithful to you? Has God been merciful to you? Has God, has God not given you what you deserve? Has God been slow to anger and abounding in love? Has he been more than good? Has he been more than just, more than merciful? As you turn around, I suggest you look over the years of your life through the lens of what has God been doing in all of these years? Even through the pain, even through the things I don't understand why he let me go through them, I can testify that he has kept me through them. And I don't know why I went through them, but he has kept me. I know some people were wandering. I was waiting. And he has kept me. 
and and as and as that is my past my my, my present is that that his promises are still good and and, and I, I I should so I can so I will so I'm making a commitment a decision right now if that's you if you're making a commitment a decision on March 26th would you just raise your hand and say that's me just take a bold step and say I'm making a commitment a decision I'm moving forward whatever that might be whatever that might look like there's some land in my life that I've been that I've been saying I should have and I could have and boy and maybe I'm starting over I'm facing the same stuff that's good yeah you can put hands down and would you just pray with me God <laughs> thank you for keeping me Lord, thank you for being faithful to me. Thank you for, for, for watching over me and fulfilling your promises. Thank you for never letting me down, never letting me go, never letting me drop too far. Thank you for always pulling me back. Thank you for your persistence. Thank you for your, your, your doggedness. Thank you that you just stick with us and you stick to us and, and you don't let us go. And the fact that we're here today is proof, is evidence that you still have a plan for our lives and you haven't given up yet and you have haven't thrown in the towel yet. You still believe in what you always believed. You're still faithful to do what you always said that you would do. In fact, you knew. You knew what the path was before you called us, and you called us anyway. And so we step into today knowing that you've already stepped into tomorrow. You're not shocked. You're not surprised. You're not bewildered. You're not wringing your hands wondering what to do. Your filter is, is your character. That's what you see the world through. Lord, help us to see the world through your eyes. Help us to see through you. Help us to see your presence, God. Help us to see that you are with us and that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you don't break any of your promises. You're not, you're, you, 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 if you hold off anything, if you hit the pause button, it's only, it's only because of your mercy and it's only because of your goodness. And you're doing much more than we can even see. There's stuff going on on the other side of the world. You're preparing things. You're doing things that we don't even give you credit for because our brains can't figure it out. And so, Lord, we come out of our box. We take our box and we throw it in the trash and we allow you to be God. You are bigger than us. You are smarter and wiser and more powerful than us. You are planning beyond our, our, our ability to comprehend and we trust you. So we step into you. Help us to see life through your perspective, Lord. Help us to see our lives through your perspective in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.